0: I always think about like going back to that question of impact. Is this activity making the biggest contribution towards our like desired end state? And a company like Lopez Foods, which manufactures protein products for the quick serve restaurant industry, you know, their supply chain is much broader than Organic Valley's. They source beef and pork from across the country. Thousands of beef producers, ultimately, their meat is going into that supply chain. And there are really ambitious goals that Lopez Foods is pursuing because of the pressure they're receiving from customers, in part. Those customers like McDonald's and Starbucks of the world who are needing to answer to their customers, you and me, people who vote with our wallets, who are verbal or loud online about what we expect, you know, and other activist groups. This
1: is Evolve CPG, a community of purpose-driven brand leaders who not only believe in better, but actively pursue it. With better products, better brands, and better leadership for a better world. Come join our online community at community.evolvecpg.com. I'm your host, Gage Mitchell, founder and creative director of Modern Species, a sustainable brand design agency helping better brands grow and scale their impact. On today's episode, we're speaking with Jonathan Reinbold, sustainability director for Thomas Foods, about the food industry's impacts on our health and the environment, and the progress being made to turn any negative impacts into
0: positive. Hi, I'm Jonathan Reinbold, the Sustainability Director at Thomas Foods USA. Thanks for joining me,
1: Jonathan. It's always fun to catch up and see what you're up to and chat as both sustainability nerds, though you're probably a much more in-depth sustainability nerd than I am, considering your actual roles, background, and education. (laughs) So I love learning from you. With that said, when I was digging into your background a little bit, something I didn't know about you is that your initial degree believe was in kinesiology and then you shifted into a master's in environment and community so I'm curious what your initial draw into kinesiology was and if you feel like that education gave you any like extra angle or or substance when you dove into environment and community
0: yeah I was really into physical education athletic training And that's the kinesiology was the program at Penn State where I did my undergrad work. I had thought I was going to go into like a lab research world and did a lot of work in a lab there. And I wanted to do R&D on prosthetic limbs. After spending 18 months working in the lab, it wasn't as uh, exciting anymore. And that's before I even was out in the real world working. So uh, a mentor gave me some advice to make sure that I'm really passionate about the work. And that was kind of all I needed to look elsewhere. I didn't need to look too far since the College of Health and Human Sciences, which is where kinesiology was, also housed the environmental, the Rec Park Environmental Program. So I began taking environmental courses that still contributed to my major and I kind of just decided that I was going to have to navigate another path after I graduated. I didn't want to delay that any longer. So just started digging in, doing some self-education, especially after graduation, just pursued environmental world. Since then... You know, food has been a key part of that. And it has been the, the the tie through all of my stops so far professionally.
1: Yes, I was going to ask if that uh, interest in food plus the idea of physical wellness is kind of that tie through and then kind of the more you learned, maybe the more you realized there's so many environmental concerns that affect food and your overall physical well-being. So, it, it seems to be a nice common thread through that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was extremely uneducated, naive, whatever you want to say. But I, I didn't know anything about. We were
1: at that age, I'm sure.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. I knew nothing of organic agriculture, the impact of agriculture broadly on the environment. I just was totally unaware, and you know, I became really interested and then passionate about that. And, you know, as a knee-jerk reaction to learning, I became vegan. You know, I was like, oh, animal agriculture is bad. I'm not going to consume any animal products. I I was very put off by the amount of corn and soy-derived products that make up so much of the processed foods. I stopped eating anything that I knew had any corn derivatives in it. And, you know, it was a, a very, very much a diet of elimination. Yeah. No. <laughs> you know, there's not all that much left when, when you go through that. It was all right because I was extremely poor as a college student. <laughs> so that was fine. But oh, was uh, like
1: you were left with like brown rice.
0: <laughs> yeah. There was plenty of rice and like frozen mixed vegetables. Um, <laughs> but I'm no longer vegan or vegetarian. I think I'm conscientious about a lot of what I eat, but there's a lot more nuance in the world of ag than, um, I was aware of at the time. So, um, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah.
1: I, I've kind of seen a similar kind of path of like when you first start getting curious about nutrition and you start being like, oh, okay, I guess I got to eliminate saturated fat and get rid of butter and get rid of all this and maybe cut back on meat and so on and so forth. And it ends up becoming this like, I think the early health food movement was just all bland cardboardy tasting stuff because at that time, that's just kind of like what, what we were thinking health food was. But but then over time, it progressed to be like, okay, well, <laughs> let's get a little bit more real about this or as more information came out, we realized it's not its not just like eliminating a bunch of stuff. It's actually putting more real stuff in your diet, like having more variety in your diet, having more different types of fruits and vegetables and and so on and so forth rather than like eliminating everything that doesn't work.
0: Yeah, though I, I have
1: heard some people that still focus on these like, I'm only going to eat broccoli and steak for the rest of my life kind of diets or something, so... But anyway, it is interesting how that older like 10, 20, 20, 30 years ago, maybe movement of health food was just like brown rice and steamed chicken or something like that was the idea of health food. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, you mentioned that you like ended up growing this kind of passion around food that brought you into the food industry and you kind of dove into agriculture pretty early in your career. I, I saw in your profile that you were working at Tierra Miguel. Foundation. so I'm curious like of all the different paths that you could have gone into with food and health, what drew you into agriculture specifically and what was your role at that foundation?
0: Well i I started out there. My first interaction was as a CSA member, the community supported agriculture was one of the distribution models that they used. and I was a member of the farm. I volunteered. While I was living in Southern California, I did move away to the to Northern California for a little while, but as I was pondering next steps professionally, I spoke with the farmer and asked if I could come and just work on the farm for the summer as I was you know, figuring out what I was going to do next. I was looking into grad school, wasn't certain I was going to head that route, but I said, hey, I'll come down. I'll sleep in a tent. Just let me uh, pick some fruit and vegetables for you for for a few months. And they said, "Sure, come down. You can even sleep inside." (laughs) So uh, (laughs) it was a, (laughs) a, a great start. The foundation was a nonprofit organization, ran a farm. It did a lot of farm to school work. So shortly after I started there, I was accepted into grad school, and the organization received a grant from another nonprofit, and they were in need of a farm-to-institution program manager. So I, I was hired into that role, and that was a really impactful progression there because that became a core part of my graduate studies at Antioch University, focusing on environment and community. I was working with, well, the role was to get more local fruits and vegetables into institutional meal programs. And from my end, I was going out into the community, recruiting farmers from in and around San Diego County and bringing them together to develop a aggregated supply chain to meet those institutional market demands while our partner nonprofit organization worked on the institutional side. So we worked closely together And um, it was a great opportunity there, direct engagement with farmers. I also got the opportunity to work on the farm itself, so I wasn't totally unaware of what I was asking farmers to do. And it was a great learning experience. And as I was nearing the end of my graduate degree, the executive director position opened up and I, I was hired into that role. So I stayed with Tierra Miguel for another year or so after graduating before moving on to Organic Valley, where I led sustainability there.
1: Nice. I love how you started out with the idea of, I'll sleep in a tent and help pick some produce and ended up the executive director a few years later or
0: something. Yeah. That's pretty awesome It was was unexpected, that's for sure.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It sounded like you were doing a lot of like community building and supply chain stuff or whatever in San Diego too. That that's um, really interesting. Was that all part of the foundation work or was that something separate?
0: Yeah, it it was the the organization had a couple large projects that they were leading that I got to be involved in. One was a food system assessment and action plan. So there was a lot of engagement with elected and appointed policy officials throughout the county and the city of San Diego as well. So that assessment and action plan was uh, developed by uh, UC Davis, but Tierra Miguel was the grant recipient that brought together all the partners, and then the the farm to institution work that covered the the two year time frame, and that again was bringing together those different key stakeholders. The county had a vested interest in getting. More local healthy produce into schools and other institutions, and obviously the farmers had interest in having additional revenue streams. The challenge is always uh, making price points match for the different stakeholder groups and they didn't always but you know that was that was obviously an objective there
1: nice cool that makes sense I've seen so many cool things from California area over the years of different food supply chain, like health kind of initiatives, especially even with kind of government, like whether it's schools or or other things like that, from a procurement standpoint, I'm helping set better standards around, you said, buying local, ideally buying organic or whatever else they can to try to improve like nutrition in schools or, or different programs like that. So I love that California is always kind of leading the way in some of those charges.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It'd be good to see more fast followers, but...
1: So with that said, you mentioned the Organic Valley kind of role after that. So tell us a little bit more about your role at Organic Valley, maybe some of the overlap or or types of roles that ended up with Lopez and maybe Thomas. But like, obviously, let's start with Organic Valley. What was your kind of role like there and and what kind of initiatives were you working on?
0: So I was with Organic Valley for about eight years, starting in 2011, and I led the sustainability department. When I came aboard, it was a pretty small group. There were a couple staff focused on sustainability kind of halftime, and then myself. And the sustainability program was really successful by thanks in part to the people who preceded me and the staff. And really, the opportunities just grew. It started out as I think you're you know, traditional sustainability program in a company, ride sharing, van pool, like recycling education in the offices. But what is special about Organic Valley in part is that it's a cooperative. So the um, suppliers own the business. So the business provides services back to the suppliers who happen to be farmers and primarily dairy farmers. So part of the program was internally facing with those employee engagement type of activities. And the other part was externally facing towards the farmers themselves, helping them in whatever way that they needed, you know, that kind of fell under the sustainability umbrella at the beginning. It was a lot around small wind power on farms, solar energy, biofuels at the time. The price of diesel fuel was extremely high and a farmer could grow an oilseed crop, crush it, extract, manually crush it, extract the vegetable oil, and then they could turn it into biodiesel and it would be cheaper than purchasing petroleum diesel, or they could actually convert their diesel vehicles to run on straight vegetable oil. So it was about energy independence. It was about a closed loop on farm. And the the business, the sustainability department, developed a mobile biodiesel factory, essentially. So built it inside of a, a race car trailer and took it to members farms. A farmer could They would grow their sunflowers or canola or other oilseed crop, and they would have it crushed within the race car trailer, extract the oil, and then that would be processed into biodiesel. And the solid meal that came out, the other byproduct was typically high protein and fed to the animals. could be used as a fertilizer. So, you know, a um, closed loop system there. And really, the sustainability department was just kind of a facilitator, like helping the farmers see that it's possible. And some of them went forward and developed different businesses around sunflower oil, making it for human consumption, etc. And by the time I left, you know, climate change was much more prominent on the minds of folks. And California was leading in this regard, helping farmers develop carbon farm plants. So what could a farmer do to maximize sequestered carbon, minimize fugitive emissions from their operations, and also linking up farmers with funding from the state to run pilot projects? So the scope the scope changed dramatically from very localized like who is near organic valley headquarters that could use this oilseed pressing equipment to farmers across the country in california receiving hundreds of thousands of dollars to run uh, pilot projects to ensure that or to align with state regulation around greenhouse gas emissions from livestock operations so Between there and the operations side, we did a lot of renewable energy installations. And actually, the kind of the biggest one was helping guide Organic Valley to become the world's largest 100% renewably powered food company. And that happened, I think, uh, what was it, 2019, I think, is when that officially uh, project came online.
1: That's amazing. So many different initiatives and projects like going on at once. I'm curious, like in a for those who haven't been a sustainability director or don't have one at their company and are maybe curious about adding one, how much of your time do you feel like in that role at least was set aside for like coming up with sustainability or impact strategies versus actually going out and collecting data and measurements and so on and so forth versus actually running initiatives like program managing things like that bio- biofuel versus also then storytelling, like the either internal storytelling of getting everyone internally aligned on your goals or success or maybe external storytelling around telling the world what you're up to.
0: I, I don't know. I don't know the breakdown. I know that, you know, the the head of the group was spending a lot more time kind of telling what was happening than doing. The rest of the team, they were the ones who are. Now, whether it's writing grants to fund those cool on-farm projects or working with uh, solar developers to make those projects a reality, I was my my role was to try and align all of our activities for like a shared common purpose. You know what was the like guiding light uh, for the department, and it was always to minimize the negative climate impacts of the business and kind of all of the, the whole supply chain. So, you know, how did each activity fit in and how are we accomplishing the biggest impact was a question we had to constantly ask ourselves. And then, you know, my role a lot was just getting the, the executive buy-in and that came through presentations to the board of directors uh, came from like generating public support for the work we were doing that's how we first met by publishing a sustainability report can't remember we did three or four of them together but there are you need the support but you also need to demonstrate that the investments you've made are successful already so that way you can get more. Support, whether it be more staff or a bigger budget. There's always more to do. And obviously, the world needs a much larger investment in climate action than we've seen to date. And it was always a, a difficult sell. But I think increasingly now we see that a business that focuses on sustainability, they tend to be more profitable and have a better reputation than their competitors. And that holds true in many different categories from automobiles to cereal brands to dairy companies.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. It's interesting because I think different companies enter this sustainability kind of focus in different ways. I think like some companies maybe just start with more of the transparency or like, well, okay, let's just actually start measuring our materiality or something like that just because they don't even know where they're doing well or doing poorly. So, like, starting with that measurement makes sense. Whereas some companies, I feel like Organic Valley is more in this category, they've just been a pioneer in sustainability for so long. They were just doing a ton of initiatives. (laughs) And so, like, the doing had happened, like, 25 years before they actually started doing any storytelling. And maybe there was, like, sprinkled bits of measurement and stuff but in between. But they were just doing it to do it because they knew it was the right thing to do and then later realized, oh, I guess we should probably share some of this story with the world. So do you feel like the industry as a whole is shifting from less monitoring and more towards the doing now? Or do you feel like it's it's just always going to be dependent on the individual company and how much they've done in the past?
0: Yeah, I think it, it really varies for a company to make like a significant change to acknowledge that maybe they're not as good as they thought is extremely difficult. And so I don't want to pick on organic Valley. Like I think what the farmers do is really fantastic, but when we look at the sectors that are contributing to greenhouse gas emissions, globally, agriculture is responsible for 15 to 20%. And there's an opportunity to do better, a lot better, agriculture doesn't have to be a contributor to climate change when clustered with forestry and land use there's there should be a target to be climate positive to be sequestering more carbon than is being emitted and when you look at the dairy industry or the meat industry you know livestock are known to result in more emissions especially cows sheep Those animals produce a lot of methane from their digestive process. But there's opportunity to have a a holistic approach in which those animals and the, the farms that they live on are much more in sync with each other, where the amount of animals on a given piece of land are reduced, that almost all their feed comes from that particular piece of land. There are more perennials planted there. But right now, that's not the reality for most of our food system. There are many very good actors, but there's, on a global scale, far too much greenhouse gas emissions going out into the atmosphere. I don't know what the number is, maybe 415, 416 parts per million. We are well beyond where we need to be, and we need every sector pulling in the right direction. And a company that's been around 25, 30 years it's really difficult to you know turn around the ship as as they say. That's why you see new actors, new firms coming into spaces with the the mission from the beginning to be a climate positive company. If you don't have that history of operating in a certain way, it's a lot easier to say, we're going to be carbon neutral from the beginning. You'd see, Companies like Microsoft that have made really, really aggressive commitments to be climate positive for their entire existence. They're going to remove emissions or invest in offsets that are equivalent to all of their lifetime emissions as an organization. And we need a lot more of that type of leadership. So kudos to them and kudos to the companies that are coming in now with that mindset We're going to see a lot of companies just not be able to make the switch. The large oil and gas companies that are making minor investments in solar and wind for arguably PR reasons while they're still trying to profit from their fossil fuel investments, those companies are bound to fail unless they make dramatic shifts. We're going to see solar, wind, other types of renewable energy, energy storage companies replace the long, the long known names like Mobil, Exxon, and Shell, et cetera, if they're not authentically pursuing a future that's much more aligned with climate reality. Nice. Yeah, I love that. It's
1: I totally agree with that. And you touched on one thing that I think is powerful is that these newer companies are able to come in and from the beginning kind of set some of these goals around climate positive or or other things because they start with that mindset they're able to just build that into their business model and that's why i often tell people that are looking to become more sustainable or impactful that it's it's just the earlier you can start the easier it will be because if you wait until you're at a certain scale that change is going to be so much harder cuz now you're whole at that scale your pricing models, your employee pay your whatever, everything is already based off of the model of doing things, what I would say is the wrong way. And so, when you switch to doing things the right way, there's going to be a big shift. But if the earlier you can shift to doing things the right way, the more you can build your business model around doing things the right way. So, it's not a hard shift. Like I've heard a lot of these conversations in raising the minimum wage or providing employee benefits or something like that. Like people that have 100 employees freaking out about having to all of a sudden shift and, and provide their employees benefits that they didn't before. Well, if they had started when they had two employees, it wouldn't be a problem at all because they would have had it baked into their business model. So I think the same thing goes for sustainability. The earlier you start, the easier it is to keep going.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree. And If you look at it from like a, a capital perspective, investing in something, you know, new build construction is always going to be more cost efficient than a retrofit. Like you can you can make improvements to a retrofit, but you don't have a blank canvas. You're working around and a system that's already operating. You got barriers in the way. But if it's new build, hey, you just envision what you want to see and then you create it. That's why new entrants, new firms coming into a space, they're trying new things. Plenty of them will fail, but There are successes, and that's why you see companies like Tesla, who they are extremely successful. There's plenty of electric vehicle companies that have failed along the way, but we're seeing more and more that are making it. We're seeing more and more electric vehicles coming out, and that's just going to continue to be the case. The financial value for sustainable solutions is increasingly obvious. And whether it is renewable energy or electric vehicles, there's, it's just a point in time when it is obviously the better financial investment to go with those technologies than the status quo. So it's just whether the organization has the vision to see that point in the future. Yeah, that makes sense.
1: Another thing you touched on that I thought was interesting is this idea of, how much or or the kind of impact of the dairy and meat industry compared to let's just say more plant-based kind of food industry right and you you mentioned like in college or right after college or whatever that you were kind of trying to avoid eating meat maybe for health reasons but also for environmental reasons and and you ended up with a career that was like largely dairy and meat industry focused so I'm curious did you Intentionally shift in that way because you saw there was such a big problem and you knew there was a lot of improvements that could be made, or did it just like happen that you ended up in those industries and then through your work you're able to help solve the problem that you were trying to avoid? Yeah, good question.
0: No, it was it was not as intentional as saying I'm going to go in and make sure they're doing it the right way because you know I didn't know I didn't know anything about the dairy industry. San Diego, there's one, maybe two dairies. I never saw them while I was living there. It was all about produce, a lot of tree crops primarily. But Organic Valley was the type of organization that I was excited about. That's why I made that switch. That it was a farmer first organization and I was Really excited about the idea of the farmers as price makers instead of price takers. That's something that so often is not the case. You know, farmers are the the price they get paid for their production is so often dictated to them. And for Organic Valley, which set a pay price to its farmers, which was approved by the board of directors who are farmers themselves and was um, stable. Uh, across the entire year you know that was really inspiring and that brought me in i learned a great deal about the dairy industry and i saw really impressive models of how things can be done and i believe that it's realistic for a livestock producer to be able to be a net benefit to the world in terms of you know the food they produce on farm and the environmental impact as well. I I moved into meat companies, Lopez foods first, and now Thomas foods, because it's a, another great opportunity. I always think about like going back to that question of impact is this activity making the biggest contribution towards our like desired end state. And, and, a company like Lopez Foods, which manufactures protein products for the quick serve restaurant industry, you know their supply chain is much broader than Organic Valley's. They source beef and pork from across the country. Thousands of beef producers, ultimately, their meat is going into that supply chain. And There are really ambitious goals that Lopez Foods is pursuing because of the pressure they're receiving from customers, in part. Those customers like McDonald's and Starbucks of the world who are needing to answer to their customers, you and me, people who vote with our wallets, who are verbal or loud online about what we expect, you know, and other activist groups. And... The companies that I never thought would be pursuing a a sustainable business strategy like McDonald's, they definitely are. From the very beginning, I was extremely impressed with Lopez Foods and, you know, what it's trying to accomplish. McDonald's, especially with its leadership, expecting its suppliers to help it reach those really aggressive targets that it set. So, yeah, I, I mean, I came into that role with Supersize Me as my last really close insight into McDonald's, and yeah, I I came away quite impressed. I yeah, I I don't feel bad about taking my kids to get a Happy Meal. I know what goes into the products. I see the quality of the meat, and moving over to. To Thomas Foods now, you know it's a company that is a subsidiary of an Australian food company of the same name. That their supply chain is a bit more integrated. They raise some of their own animals. They have very they have much closer uh, relationships with the livestock producers. They have high animal welfare. Uh, requirements for their supply chain, also really stringent antibiotic and hormone growth promoting expectations. And a great deal of their supply is organic and or grass-fed. So I felt like I got to see a world at Organic Valley that was primarily consumer packaged goods. It was consumer-facing, then working at Lopez, which was third party manufacturing. You know, most people don't know the the Lopez Foods name, and now at Thomas that kind of works in between, that has its own brand, Thomas Farms, but also does a lot of manufacturing for retailers, meal kit companies. And I see an opportunity there. My values align with the type of animal husbandry that's going on there. And there's opportunity to scale internationally they have a lot of their supply chain in australia we're sourcing from south america europe and north america as well impact i saw that opportunity for greater impact and was really excited about that
1: that's really cool yeah that reminds me of in the early early days of entering into sustainability or or health focus kind of in in my career or in my consumer interests like you mentioned supersize me is you know one of the last things you saw about mcdonald's and then once you got more updated information, you realize they have changed a lot. And like Walmart also comes to mind of historically companies like McDonald's or Walmart were on the, I will never work for these kind of companies lists, but then they do change and it's, it's hard to shift the brand. Like a lot of people who made the decision that I'll never shop there or, or buy from them or eat their products. It's hard to like shift their mental state, but these brands are shifting and they are part of the change as much as maybe the early, sustainability movement activists don't want to believe it. Like they are doing a lot. Like Walmart making one change or or requesting all their suppliers to make some changes ripples out and throughout the whole community in such a powerful way that they are kind of a mover and shaker in sustainability now. And like you mentioned with McDonald's, I haven't updated my information on them in a long time either. So maybe I need to go take another look. But that also reminds me of on this other series that we just started doing recently called Lunch Break. We've been kind of tasting products and kind of talking about the brand and the impact of those companies. And there's so many companies now owned by a company like General Mills, or so many brands owned by a company like General Mills. And as we were digging into General Mills sustainability reporting, we realized it's like a pretty robust, impressive, like materiality assessment and lots of different commitments. And they're really pushing towards, you know, organic regenerative agriculture and so many like big changes that, 10, 20 years ago, you would just laugh if if somebody told you General Mills cared about people or the environment. But now it's like they're doing so much. So what you said kind of just kind of reinforces that idea of like maybe some of us hardcore (laughs) sustainability or impact activists need to do a reset on some of these companies and, and try to dig into the information instead of relying on our biases from 20 years ago.
0: Yeah, I agree. Those companies, they... They have people working at them, just like me and you, you know they who are authentic in their in their work, who want to see a future where the amount of c o two and other greenhouse gases in the atmosphere is aligned with a healthy human civilization. They are people that want the best and they're working within an organization that you know has been around for a long time and it uh, may be slower to move, you know that that ship turning around. But I believe that a lot of those organizations are authentic, and Walmart and McDonald's. My twenty-five-year-old self wouldn't wouldn't believe it if I said like I think they're they're doing the right thing, you know. <laughs> you know they're they're putting in the work. They're I don't know the dollar figure, but they are investing in sustainability throughout their supply chains big, big way that people don't realize, you know, Project Gigaton for Walmart, that that's their commitment to have their supply chain offset or avoid a gigaton worth of CO2 equivalent emissions. And I know that they are surveying all of their supply chain and requiring reporting on it. And they, that demand from Walmart, you know, the biggest retailer in the world Is making their suppliers integrate sustainability within their own business. You know, and that if that's the first step, great. You know, those businesses may come to sustainability begrudgingly, perhaps. But once you already have staff on board or you're hiring consultants to do the reporting for you, like it's not that big of a leap for them to say, all right, well, how is this going to benefit us? In the marketplace, beyond just being allowed to sell at Walmart, like what's the opportunity here? We see the market research indicating consumers want more sustainable products; they're willing to pay more for it, et cetera. Um, so it takes it takes you know some of those big companies to really push on that lever to get some things moving, but it also takes you know the new entrants, the ones whose whole business strategy is based around, you know, having a positive climate impact as well. It's good to see both of those things happening.
1: Agreed. So, since the industry is changing so much and more and more people are coming into this um, focus of trying to work towards climate positive solutions or be more sustainable or regenerative, lots of different words floating around, of course, but... As brands are trying to build in more impact into their models, what kind of advice would you give for brands either looking to get started or looking to to go deeper with their impact commitments?
0: You know, focus on the right stuff. Packaging is a very prominent area right now for commitments. A lot of retailers are committing that all their house brands are going to meet the, um, Ellen MacArthur Foundation's packaging commitment, which is that 100% of their packaging is recyclable, industrially compostable, or reusable by 2025. And that's definitely making a lot of impact. It's really positive. But for a company like the one I work for, that's animal-based, such a small share of the total impact of our products come from packaging. So when we consider greenhouse gas emissions, less than 3%, it's probably less than 1%, but I don't want to understate it too much. So plastics are a big problem. We know that they get into the oceans and the situation right now is terrible. So do you want to put all your resources towards that? We know it's bad. Or do you want to put your limited resources towards decreasing greenhouse gas emissions? You got to focus on something. If you have limited resources, if you're just entering into that sustainability space, identify biggest opportunity areas and focus there. Don't try and do everything. I always uh, try and keep the number of kind of goal areas to three. Hopefully they all have some type of um, cohesion, but we shouldn't be working on water and plastics and greenhouse gases if we only have two staff. We'll just, we won't make as big of an impact in any one area when we try and do that. So whether it's a formal materiality assessment, which takes into account stakeholders uh, across your organization and- including customers, consumers, sometimes regulatory authorities. Do it. You know, it doesn't need to be super formal. Just talk to the people that are engaged with your organization, find out what they think, and, and then you know, see what the science says and make sure you're focusing on those high-impact opportunities.
1: I love it, and I totally. I've seen. I think it was in General Mills' report, and I've talked to some other folks who have done their materiality assessments and found that packaging is like, let's say, one percent or three percent, or you know, whatever, of their total impact. And so, but it takes a lot of investment and a lot of research and a lot of time to fix it, which I totally get. So, like focusing on packaging for any individual company (laughs) isn't the right individual focus sometimes. But I just can't help but think like if we got. All the big players in the CPG space to focus for just one or two years on packaging sustainability and like the supply chain around renewable materials or recovery so that recyclability is more feasible in this country or on this continent, then we could just be done with it and move on from there and we wouldn't have to worry about packaging anymore and we could move on to other things. And then maybe if the industry then focused on regenerative agriculture or whatever, like I think. Each company focusing on their own thing that makes sense to them is, of course, important. But I just can't help but think about how powerful it would be if we could all, as an entire industry, kind of align on one thing. Like if all the billionaires focused on ending homelessness, it could be done in a year, right? Because it would just be feasible with all their resources. So, same thing with CPG industry. If we could all focus on the same thing this year and then the same thing next year, we could just eliminate some of these problems instead of having them just kind of like continue on indefinitely because we're all just focused on our individual different things. Anyway, so just random thought there that totally hear what you're saying that people should focus on what's going to move the needle. But I like the idea of unified action too.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, right now at Thomas Foods, I'm the only sustainability staff and there's a lot to do. Packaging is important. All of our products, you know, fresh meat products, are packaged in plastic right now. And our customers, Target, Walmart, etc., they want the all the packaging to be recyclable. So I could focus all my time there, try and become a packaging expert, develop new materials, but that's not that's not my area of expertise. And with only one to 3% of our total footprint in packaging, I'm going to lend my voice to indicate demand side interest and I'll be a fast follower. As soon as something is commercially available, we'll bring it on board to replace the existing products that we're using. And I'm, I'm very confident that, or optimistic, I guess that the uh, 2025 targets are going to be met. I was, actually speaking with a prominent packaging manufacturer earlier today and, you know, asking what is the most sustainable option right now to replace what we're currently using and will they be um, aligned with that 2025 recyclable pledge? And they are putting a, a big emphasis on it. They're going to have be able to replace most, if not all, of their current lines that we use with a recyclable option by 2025. So so I'm aware of it, staying attuned to it, but I put a lot more of my time on the um the agriculture side impacts of livestock on emissions. So that's where I think I have the most experience and the greatest opportunity for impact because the animals themselves produce probably of the impact of our embedded within our products. So it's much more bang for the buck.
1: Absolutely. That's awesome. I love it. I think that's a good place to wrap up. So Jonathan, I just want to say, you know, it's always fun to catch up and, and hear what you're up to. And I appreciate everything that you're doing for the industry and going out there and just trying to be part of the change and helping some of these industries that really have do make a huge impact, but maybe flip that from a negative impact to a positive impact. So I love um, what you're doing out there and uh, love staying in touch. So keep doing what you're doing. And thanks for taking some time to come on the show. Thanks, Cage. Good to see you. Subscribe to our podcast and YouTube channel for more innovator interviews, expert advice, and leadership discussions. If you like this episode, leave a heart, thumbs up, or review and share it with your colleagues. As an ever-evolving show, we also love feedback. So send us your thoughts or ideas for who we should talk to next to evolve at modernspecies.com. Business can be a powerful force for good. Is your brand living up to its full potential? Go to evolvecpg.com to learn about our new impact workshop exponential good. Over six weeks, we'll be thinking bigger, getting relevant, spreading throughout, going exponential, working backwards, and making it real so you can walk away with a clear vision and a detailed action plan for scaling your brand's positive impact exponentially. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Thomas Foods, go to thomasfoods.com.